And let's turn on the mic, shall we? Yes. It's great to see so many kids out and so many of you out. We're having a barbecue. Did you hear? It's exciting. First time in three years, I'm really hungry. (laughs) Church barbecues. Nothing can fill the empty place in our hearts that they fill. Am I right? My name is Alex, and I serve as lead pastor here at Corrid, and I want to add my word of welcome to uh, what Allison said at the beginning of the service. And, you know, I I like to welcome people, um, I like to meet people, and sometimes I like to introduce people. So a couple of weeks ago, something happened, and uh, two young people in our congregation became husband and wife. So I'm going to introduce to you For the first time, Chris and Jillian McLeod as a married couple. You guys want to stand up? I know you want to. They're not related to me, but I really appreciate the way they spell McLeod with the A. And we're so happy for you guys. We are praying for you and bless you in that. Maybe you can have an extra hamburger just to celebrate. So today we're starting a new series on the Apostles' Creed. For the next 11 weeks, we'll be studying this historic summary of Christian belief. And it's going to give us a chance to do something we rarely get to do, and that is to cover all the bases. Normally in sermon series or one-off sermons, we, we touch on an aspect of God or of Christian faith or of our life together as the church. But in the Apostles' Creed, everything is covered. Peter writes, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. And the Apostles' Creed, we're going to find, will help us in that. It helps us to remember who we are, the story we share as Christians. And so my prayer for us over the coming weeks is that we will reason together through this series that we'll think about what we believe, examining it carefully, and that we will all be led into this greater reverence and faith in Christ as our Lord that Peter talks about, and that that hope will grow and flourish within us. So to start, we're going to listen to the creed read. In a video. I believe. I believe. I believe in God. Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He 
he descended to hell. The third day, he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe. I believe. I, I, I believe. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Father Church. You can win saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body. And the life everlasting. Amen. 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 Usually when we say the Apostles' Creed together, we, we stand up and we say it. And I don't think we always have a chance to reflect on the words. So hopefully that helped you to do that a little bit. And we're going to find different ways of saying the Creed together and listening to it read in the coming weeks. But what is a creed, really? It's, it's not a word we hear a lot in our world. In fact, I think creeds are well out of fashion today. Well, we get the word creed from the opening line of the Apostles' Creed, credo, which is Latin for I believe. But it's not just about ideas and giving our assent to propositions. The root of that word credo means I give you my heart. And I love that. Imagine if we said the creed instead of I believe with I give you my heart. Maybe we'll try that. So you can think of the I believe as encompassing maybe many more things than you normally associate with belief. It's more like saying I promise or I commit myself. The Apostles' Creed is the oldest and simplest of the Christian creeds. It dates back to around 200. And so from the beginning of the church, the earliest way that followers of Jesus would voice their belief was to say, most simply of all, Jesus is Lord. In Romans 10, Paul writes that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Or in 1 Corinthians, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. When early Christians declared that Jesus was Lord, they were saying something radical, which may not first uh, become apparent to us. They were saying Jesus was Lord and that the Roman emperor was not. So this was something dangerous to say. It was identifying yourself with a belief that was risky. But soon the church found that they needed more than just Jesus is Lord. And so the Apostles' Creed was developed to cover all the essentials and to prepare new converts for baptism. And during the season of Lent, new believers would study the Creed and then be baptized on Easter morning. And as part of their baptism, they would say the Creed is a public declaration of faith. And we still do that. When parents or a parent brings their child for baptism, they profess their faith. And the same goes for new members joining the church. They profess their faith and and they're baptized if they haven't been in the past. And to say the creed is not to suggest that we have it all figured out. It's a way of remembering who we are. It's coming back to the basic story of God told in Scripture. You can think of the Apostles' Creed as being like a map. It guides us in our belief and in our trust, our faith. 
It starts with God the Father Almighty and moves on to Jesus, his birth, his death, his resurrection, and then the Holy Spirit. Next comes the church, the forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting. It covers every important part of the gospel. And the creed helps us to avoid inadequate or incomplete versions of Christian faith. For example, maybe you've only ever heard of Jesus as one who forgives. But in the creed, his role as judge is also made clear. Or maybe you've assumed that you can be a Christian on your own, that church is sort of negotiable. But right there in the creed is the centrality of the church, the communion of the saints. But it isn't really enough to have a map. I mean, maps are great. They help you find your way to places. But a map is only two-dimensional, right? It isn't going to build you up personally in your faith. This summer, we went for a walk by the sea as a family. And I'd seen pictures before we went to this place on the west coast of Cumbria in England. The pictures made it look great, but when we got there, it was spectacular. The pictures hadn't really done it justice at all. All of a sudden, it was real. The expanse of the ocean spread out before us. It was three-dimensional. It took our breath away. So we can't mistake creeds or statements of faith for the real thing, but they are still important as they guide us, and most of all, as they point us to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So the form of the Apostles' Creed tells a story and invites a response. It starts with God in creation, then it tells us about salvation in Jesus, and then through the Holy Spirit, it leads us into the church where forgiveness and restoration take place. And that's the whole Bible right there, from Genesis through to the Gospels and on into the letters to the churches. The Creed invites us to find our individual stories in God's story, which centers on Christ. So today we're going to look at the very opening line of the Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And we're going to read three passages in Scripture which describe God in those terms. But let's pray before we do that. Holy Spirit, as we set out today to study this creed, we pray that you would help us to find our story in your story told in Scripture. As we say, I believe, we want to give you our hearts. So meet us in our doubts and our struggles and our complacency this morning. Through your word, point us to Jesus so we can receive the abundant life he promises us. Amen. We're going to start reading in Isaiah chapter 40 at verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? 
Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by God? Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And then from the Gospel according to John, chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas, one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, Galatians 4, reading from verse 4, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On Thursday, I had lunch with a friend downtown, and when we finished eating, um, I went into the restaurant for a moment, and she left. And when I came out, I saw that she had turned onto Wyndham Street, and she looked down at her phone, and then looked up and back and around as though she was confused. I went off in the same direction and ran into her a minute later, coming back, turned around, heading the opposite direction from St. George's Square. And she said to me, the queen just died. And we weren't quite sure what to do. I was shocked, but I shouldn't have been. The queen was 96. News of the queen's death was disorienting for some of us. A friend of mine in social media described her as an anchor. And as I reflected on it, I think... For me, she was more of a beacon. Yes, she represented authority, but really she was someone I felt like I could trust. She kept calm and carried on. Her sense of duty, her integrity, they shone in a world where we've grown so cynical about our leaders. And in her case, it was an example of authority at its best the authority that creates stability. And we need that. The first line of the Apostles' Creed reflects on authority and power. You may have loved Queen Elizabeth. I don't know. But how do you feel about God's authority? 
We're invited here in this first line of the creed to picture God as an almighty father, a loving parent, powerful like nothing we've experienced. And this morning, we're going to look at this description of God in three parts. God is parental, God is powerful, and then the paradox revealed in Christ. Sometimes I think we're tempted to think of God as this kind of nebulous higher power or as something like an impersonal clockmaker who made the universe and then stepped away and stopped caring. But it's significant that the first picture we have of God here in the creed is that he's a father, like a father. First of all, God is father to his son Jesus. The relationship between God and Jesus is central to the creed. And we believe God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As a trinity, God shares love within himself before the world began. And that same love extends to us. The most basic truth about God, we believe as Christians, is that he loves us. I love that line in the hymn we sang earlier, ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriends you. Do we believe that his love comes close to us, can change us? Isaiah 40 portrays God as a great horizon, but it continues with him wanting to give strength to the weary who will soar on wings like eagles. And then in John 14, God is like a father who waits to welcome us home. And Jesus goes to prepare a place. He's the way for us to experience that great homecoming. And that made me think of the story of the prodigal son, the son who rejected his father's love, who left home and threw away his inheritance. And so through all of this, God is the father who forgives us, forgives his rebellious children, who runs to meet us when he sees us coming in the distance. He's that kind of father. Now, God is also like a father to us because he's the source of our existence. He created us, we're made in his image, just as we reflect our earthly fathers and mothers. We look like them, right? It's in our DNA. It's pretty amazing to think that we bear God's image. God is also like, to, like a father to us because he has authority over us. We owe him our obedience and our loyalty. And this is where we start to see that this analogy of father has its limits. Let's be clear that God is not male. God has no gender. The Bible speaks of him as father, but that can be hard for some of us who had fathers who were cold or distant or harsh. The creed reminds us that God is our true and perfect father. And if that's a stretch for you, then I'd encourage you to reflect on Galatians 4, where in verse 6 it says that we need the Holy Spirit to be truly able to relate to God as Father, as Abba. Have you ever prayed for that? Have you prayed for the Spirit to give you more of a personal relationship with God as a loving parent, to make that come alive for you? Three times in the New Testament, this Aramaic word Abba is used to describe God as Father. Abba doesn't really mean Father. It's more like Daddy. 
And God wants us to have that comfortable, natural relationship with him. The kind of relationship that parents have with small children. God is the most powerful person in the universe, but he's never too busy for us. If you're his child, you can run into his arms anytime. So why does it say in Galatians 4 that we receive adoption to sonship? It's not the inclusive language we're used to hearing these days. But the point it makes is that in that culture, only sons could inherit wealth. Paul is saying that in Christ, both men and women have that privilege and can inherit everything in heaven and on earth. So you're no longer a slave. You're no longer in bondage to whatever it is that you reach to for worth, for meaning, for pleasure, that you depend on maybe. But God says, I've freed you from that, and you now find your identity as a child of mine. And he promises to give us every good thing. Do you believe that? Why don't we just take a minute right now to pray in the middle of the sermon, more than the middle, two-thirds. Let's take a moment of silence, and I invite you in the silence to simply pray, come Holy Spirit. We've already heard this, right? I think most of us, this is something we don't often admit, most of us struggle to bridge that gap between God Almighty, distant, transcendent, other, and then the promise that God is our Father, a loving parent. So in the silence, would you ask the Holy Spirit to make that more real for you today, in the week ahead? Come, Holy Spirit. Show us who you are, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. So I believe in God, the Father Almighty. First of all, the creed describes God as being like a father, and then it calls him Almighty. We go from parental to powerful. And we've talked about the authority of a father a little, but when God is called Almighty, it really puts the spotlight on his power. And Isaiah 40 paints this incredible picture. He sits enthroned above the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of the stars is missing. So God is above us, larger than us, more powerful than any earthly ruler. El Shaddai is the Hebrew name that means God Almighty. And it speaks of a God for whom nothing is impossible and who is always in control. The first time in the Bible we encounter El Shaddai, God named that way, is in Genesis 17, where he makes his covenant with Abraham and promises him a son. The thing is, Abraham was 99 years old, and his wife Sarah was 90. And so they laughed at God. They did not believe. But God did it anyway. Things that seem impossible to us are possible with God. And so when you say the words of the Apostles' Creed and declare your belief in God Almighty, you are planting your hope in God's promises. You're giving him your future, if you want to think of it that way. Everything you're dealing with right now, 
You're trusting him with your life. And you're saying that he is the one who truly is in control, no matter how out of control your life might feel right now. And we see God the Father Almighty, most of all in Jesus. And so we come to the paradox. From God as loving parent, through God as incredibly powerful, we have these two impulses here. That God would be almighty and that God would parent us, come close to us, embrace us. And yet, it was his will that his own son should die. The most significant time in the Bible when God is called Abba comes in Mark 14, when Jesus is suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we read, going a little farther, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so when Jesus calls God Abba and says that anything is possible for him, really he's echoing this first line of the Apostles' Creed. But the cup remains. The cup stands for God's judgment on human evil. In the Old Testament, the cup was a symbol of divine justice, and it was terrible, but necessary. God's judgment, while we don't like to think of it, gives us hope. Hope that everything that's wrong in the world will eventually be put right. God will not tolerate sin and evil, and that accountability extends to all earthly powers, including the British Empire. And so we can remember the queen with affection and still not deny the terrible wrong that was done in her name. So here's the paradox. Unless you understand an almighty God who judges, a God who has a cup for evil, you'll never understand a God who loves like a parent, who was willing to sacrifice everything for his children, who was willing to come and drink that cup of wrath himself. Jesus prays, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so Jesus becomes the one who is perfectly obedient, the child we could never be, he offers himself as the way, the truth, and the life, a new and living way to the Father. In Christ, God the Father Almighty steps into our lives. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever challenge you're facing in your life, whether you're dealing with depression or grief or loneliness or sense that what's coming at you, you will not be able to handle, anxiety of all kinds, Jesus knows what that is. He knows our pain. He doesn't offer hope from a distance. He comes close, and he teaches us to pray like him, saying, thy will be done. And then most of all, he doesn't wait for us to get it right. He goes ahead of us. He's obedient when we could never have hoped to be. What you really need to know is that the obedience, the goodness of Jesus is with you. It covers you. His righteousness is like a warm 
blanket wrapped around you on a cold fall day. All of us are struggling to feel good about ourselves. That's a struggle every day, right? We're quick to condemn ourselves. And so we fill the emptiness of our lives with anything we can find. We eat, we drink, we seek pleasure, we try to find ultimate meaning in our money, our job, our friendships, our family, our relationships. All of these are good things, but none of it can take God's place. He is the only one who can satisfy us. And so it's thanks to Jesus that we don't have to hide from God the Father Almighty. We don't have to run away. We don't have to leave home and never return. When God looks at you, he sees the beauty and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. So today, receive his grace and live in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. Know that you are loved. You are beloved child of God in whom he is well pleased. As we go through the creed, we are going to be introducing a habit, a practice that you can adopt. So the creed, it is words that we say, right? But it stands for so much more. And today I I wanted to um, share with you an experience that I've had of being quiet before God. So God in his might and God in his power and God as father too, um, there are times when the best thing we can do before God is simply to be quiet. So about two years ago, as the pandemic was starting, uh, I became aware of something called Lectio 365. How many of you have heard of that or use it? So that's, that's about 40 hands went up there. If you have not tried Lectio 365, maybe you have your own way of each day coming before God and recognizing him as God the Father Almighty. But being silent before him, I found, is something that feeds my soul because I'm a talker and there's so much noise in my life, it's overwhelming. And there's part of what the Lectio 365 devotional offers every morning is an invitation to prayer. It says, As I enter prayer now, I pause to be still, to breathe slowly, to recenter my scattered senses upon the presence of God. And then there's silence. Do you ever feel scattered? Do you ever feel like your life isn't holding together? Well, when we start the creed, believing in, worshiping God the Father Almighty. He's saying, I want to be that stability. I want to be that core, that peace for you. So if you're not in the habit of praying in the morning, you might want to consider using Lectio 365. It's a great app. You can download it for free. Let's pray. Dear God, you are faithful where we are not. Your love never fails. Help us to trust you. Help us to see you as you are, to worship and obey you. You are a good father to us. You are an almighty God who loves us, 
Come close to us. We believe. Help our unbelief. Amen.